think we're, we're, we're scared. We're, we're in grief. The earth is in grief. Uh, and yet we are learning what we can do to kind of make it better. I mean, so for me, regenerative agriculture is super important. Um, and I think firstly, and I think the reason why I'm so crazy passionate about it is, is that it, it's hopeful. Um, it is something that we can do. Um, it's something that we can get behind and involved in that actually makes a positive difference. That's Rod Olson, regenerative agriculture specialist at YYC Growers and Distributors, a social enterprise working to distribute wealth in the area of food production and distribution, and the winners of the 30th Annual Emerald Award in the business category, presented by the Edmonton Community Foundation. And today on What on Earth Can We Do, we're talking about land exploring the importance of land and how organizations are conserving and responsibly using it to benefit others, and how we can protect it and use land responsibly in our own way. And we'll get to what regenerative agriculture is in a bit. But first, let's learn a little more about YYC Growers and Distributors, a purpose-driven social enterprise that is dedicated to creating a more nourishing food system that offers farm-fresh, locally-grown food that's good for you, the environment, and the local economy. Uh, so YYC Growers began, uh, it was me and three, two other kind of urban farmers one year, and we were a little bit depressed, overworked. Uh, we're working really hard in the soil, trying to scrape together some money. And we thought, you know what, there's gotta be a way for us to work together to, to kind of reduce some of our costs, actually encourage each other to, uh, to kind of keep going. Uh, and that, that was kind of the seed of the idea. And, uh, you know, I think that was around 2014. So that's when we, you know, journeyed towards becoming a cooperative, um, farmer-owned uh, business that, that tries to do good stuff for the world. I mean, our mission is really to get, is to make a connection. Um, connection between eaters or city dwellers with farmers and uh, and not only that but a connection to the to the local space the local land and so we have uh, a harvest box that that we hope people sign up for and I think one of the, th the biggest things that we we find with people is that they love learning actually about seasonality because whatever comes in your box is what's productive and full on those farms and so it really it's a kind of an education and maybe that's part of my my passion is to to really kind of educate people as well but it really is that connection to to the farmer and to this nutritionally dense food uh, that we are growing in line with with nature um, and then also kind of creating that connection to to the land so YYC Growers and Distributors partners with local farmers and creates these subscription harvest boxes that customers can purchase to get fresh produce year-round. There's also the option to purchase one-off items on their online store. And one of the things they focus on is paying fair prices to farmer members. If you're a small farmer, we've been doing some research and um, the average price that a farmer gets paid out of a dollar spent on um, food at a grocery store, or produce at a grocery store is 17 cents out of that dollar. You know, in our system, that's kind of 65 to 70 cents of the dollar is going to the farmer. That's Louis Brown, general manager of YYC Growers and Distributors. And if you're a farmer and you want to achieve that sort of margin without a system like ours, your main path to market would be farmer's markets, um, which requires, and, and that's certainly a, a path that a lot of our farmers take in conjunction with, with this, but there's a lot of wastage, uh, it's a huge time commitment, uh, you have to have all of your product there and sit around and wait, wait for people to, to show up and hope that you sell what you have. 
Um, and, and it's expensive, like there's, there's a lot of cost to actually be there, um, the staff costs, transportation, as I mentioned. So, was, so that's actually part of the reason that YWC Grower's founding team got together is that we're all kind of competing with each other at these farm stands. Why don't we uh, try a slightly different model and, and band together? So one of the beauties of the YWC Grower's um, system, particularly for smaller urban farmers, is that um, they can really focus on farming and they have a, through their membership with YWC Growers, they have a, a guaranteed path to market for all of their products. So they can grow as much as they possibly can and they don't need to be concerned about whether they'll be able to sell it. Uh, and by the, the way we run our system in partnership with bigger uh, rural farms, uh, the customers have great variety and abundance every week. Um, but it allows for spikes of production from the smaller farmers to just get absorbed into our system and, and they don't have to spend all their weekends at farmers markets or having a, a bountiful crop only being able to sell a small amount of it in that time or worrying about where they're going to sell their produce because it can just be absorbed straight through our system. It's almost like farmers get to just focus on like what they probably do best and probably like to do best, which is just Absolutely. <laughs> that is that is part of our mission is letting farmers farm and reducing the barriers to input, uh, sorry, the barriers to entry for new farmers. Because if you're a new farmer, you it's it's, in, it's running a whole business. You have to, and if you didn't have a system like YWC Growers, you've got to not only buy incredibly capital intensive or have access to incredibly capital intensive land and equipment, um, learn how to farm, learn how to farm in better ways. There's an unbelievable lifetime of learning in that alone uh, and then trying to do marketing and sales and accounting and you know that whole system. If, we, if you can just focus on the farming, um, I think that reduces the barrier to entry a lot. And this is what made me fall in love with this concept. It's just so simple and it benefits everyone. Farmers work together to create the supply and YYC Growers takes care of the sales while providing a fair wage to farmers. Brilliant, right? But that's not the only thing YYC Growers and Distributors focuses on. Remember that term regenerative agriculture? Well, this is where we take a sustainability spin to the story. So I'm a, I'm a farm boy from Alberta. I grew up on a farm just east of Camrose and uh, I'm again one of those farm boys that couldn't wait to get off the farm. But every, every city town that I lived in after that I found myself growing food. When I ended up getting back to Calgary uh, ran into a, a spin farming website, which is, stands for Small Plot Intensive. And uh, he had a, an 80 or $90 business plan that said, here, if you do this, 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 you can have your own farm practice. And so really it was, was about getting into farming without the, the barriers of land purchase, which is, which is typically what, um, what keeps people out of farming. And so if you've got all this land um, in people's backyards, then, then that can, you can collect acreage that way and get going on a, on a business that, uh, that allows you to, to just get going right from the, from the start. Me taking over these yards, one of the things that I discovered is, is that I'd grow kale in, in this yard and, and kale in another yard not very far away and I'd get two completely different responses uh, from the kale. Same seed, same farmer, um, two in entirely different responses and so I, I started to, to think oh well what's <laughs> what's going on and so really that that's when my interest in soil started and uh, yeah just recognizing it's the it's the microbe it's the health of the soil um, 
and and so that's really kind of where my passion has has um, birthed from I guess is from from really understanding that we don't we know very little about the soil and how it works and and uh, yeah I love hard things <laughs> and so figuring out how to kind of make the soil compatible with the plant that you're growing is is kind of what makes me tick for me regenerative agriculture is really it's a decision to to stop with the extraction to to have a rock solid idea and purpose to be giving back to the earth um, and every time we give back the earth gives back in tenfold hundredfold um, and and so I, it's it's funny that we haven't really figured that out as agriculture um, but that's why YWC growers farmers are so great to be working with because they are they're, they're problem solving and trying to figure out how to do that all the time. So that, for me, that's number one. It's, it's a mindset change and it's all about, you know, helping the, the earth thrive. It's not just sustaining because sustaining is not really good enough anymore. If we sustain what we're doing right now, we're still on, we're, we're still on a pathway to, to zero. So um, it's actually improving the soil and primarily storing more carbon in the soil, improving the um, microbiology in the soil and the life in the soil. Um, and that can be done through reducing tillage, through cover cropping, reducing chemical inputs. Um, you know, a lot of the usage of, for example, glyphosate, which is just seen as a fairly safe and generic uh, herbicide by a lot of the, the world is, is actually a very strong antibiotic and it destroys soil biology, which has a host of follow-on effects of um, reducing the integrity of the soil. So there's, there's a lot of things that can be done to simple changes that can actually not just sustain um, the soil and the quality of the food, but really improve it as well. And that's what we're looking for. And, and I think there's, it's also easy to, I think the one point I'd like to make from, from kind of the YWC Growers business hat is it, I mean, I think there's been a, a movement towards organic and sustainable and some kind of labels. And the thing about our, our situation right now is the UN has told us that we have 60 years of farming left and that was five years ago. Um, we're depleting topsoil at an unbelievably rapid rate. Um, you know, the, the contribution to climate change from agriculture is very, very significant uh, in its current form. But there's a better way, and the, the soil has a way of healing itself, of storing carbon. Um, you know, there, there are some incredibly hopeful things about doing agriculture in a different way. It's easy to sit back and, and paint the farmers as the villain in the story, and, and that's absolutely not what we're saying at all. And we want to support as much as possible the journey. And if every farm makes a, a small step in the, in the direction, then to some extent that is moving towards a regenerative um, system as opposed to a, a degenerative system where things are getting worse every year, if things are getting better every year. Um, and you're making small improvements, and then that's uh, that's what we're really trying to support and, and help give um, the farmers tools to do that uh, through knowledge and a market for their product when it is actually they've taken the extra effort to go that way. So. so regenerative agriculture is about leaving the land in better condition than when you first started using it. But what does this actually look like in practice? You know, so like keeping the keeping the soil covered keeping perennial roots in place, rotating cattle in through, um, adding compost. Again, that's that idea of giving back. And, and I think one of the things that's really important to me about regenerative egg as well is that it, it, it really is indigenous practices from local areas. And sometimes regenerative egg gets kind of critiqued for kind of 
thinking that it's its own creative, wonderful solution, and it's not. It's, it's really a nod to, to kind of ancient practices that actually kept this place alive and fertile so that we could actually come and farm on it right now. And so that's, I think for me, it's, it's probably those three things. It's, it's a commitment to give back to the land, its practices, but kind of first and foremost, it's, it's, a, it's a recognition of our indigenous um, family, brothers, partners, community, that uh, kind of su uh, sustained this land for, for thousands of years. I think consumers have started to think more carefully about their food decisions and, and honestly for me that's the most important thing anyone can do is just simply ask the question whenever you buy a piece of food say where did this food come from? That's, that's a very simple first step that anyone can take and quite often in the conventional system that's a really difficult question to answer. We'll tell you exactly where this piece of food came from and we're set up Zoom meetings on a bi-weekly basis to meet and talk directly with the farmers who grew it. I think the other thing is it's hard for people to feel like they have much power over their consumption or their impact on the world and being able to proactively make those purchasing decisions with knowledge is something that we're trying to offer and, and people enjoy that. For me, the, the, the main message is that what we're doing is hopeful. Um, and when you eat our food, when you, when you get on board, when you support local farmers, you're part of an incredibly hopeful journey towards a future that we can build. We can do this together. Uh, we need eaters to help support what we're doing because we want to grow all the food um, that there is to grow. Uh, but we need the community kind of to get behind it. And it's hopeful. You don't have to be sad or scared about the future. You can get involved and be part of the solution. We'll be right back. Leading a sustainable lifestyle can be expensive, but it doesn't have to be with the Emerald Lifestyle Card. For $25, get exclusive discounts at your favorite Albertan sustainable businesses like Solar Alberta, Routine Cream, The Fiber Nook, Verge Permaculture, and The Apothecary. Meanwhile, you'll be supporting the Alberta Emerald Foundation in our environmental good news storytelling efforts, like the What on Earth Can We Do podcast. Get your Emerald Lifestyle card today at emeraldfoundation.ca. The Alberta Real Estate Foundation is a proud community partner of the Alberta Emerald Foundation and the Emerald Awards. As the presenting sponsor of the Land Award, the foundation believes it's critical to showcase and recognize projects that demonstrate excellence in sustainable land use. After all, under all is the land. Since 1991, the foundation has invested $26.5 million in grants to over 665 initiatives across Alberta. Together, we're making a difference. For the industry, for Alberta. Learn more at aref.ab.ca. Now we're heading down the road from Calgary, Alberta to Cochrane, Alberta to chat about Glambo Ranch Provincial Park recipient of the brand new land category presented by the Alberta Real Estate Foundation at the 30th Annual Emerald Awards. Glambo Ranch protects 3,200 acres of native fescue grasslands and is an active cattle ranch. The park is home to creatures big and small, from moose to bumblebees, and spans 10 kilometers of the Bow River. And then you park, and suddenly there's this vista in front of you. And so people never know what to expect when they come. 
My name is Sarah Parker and I'm the Executive Director of the Glenbow Ranch Park Foundation. Glenbow Ranch Provincial Park is situated right between the city of Calgary and the town of Cochrane. It has about 10 kilometers of the Bow uh, River shoreline that it protects. It has boreal forests, grasslands, as well as other archaeological and historical points of interest. And it's about 3,200 acres, so it is a very large park. The Glenbow Ranch Park Foundation was founded in 2007 by the Harvey family. Uh, and to talk about the history of the foundation, we need to go back a little bit before. So in the 1970s, Tim Harvey was up on one of the hills in our park, looking down on the lands with his dad, Neil Harvey. And at that time, the um, large estate development was occurring all around Calgary. And he said, is that what our lands are gonna look like? And Neil said, not if we don't let it. And Tim said, well, what do you mean by that? And he said, I think we should make it a park. And so the seed was in the head of Neil's children early on. So in 2007, they founded our foundation and started working with Alberta Parks to create uh, a public park for everyone to enjoy these lands. And so uh, that was our original creation was by the Harvey family. And the role of the foundation was to create the park. So working in partnership with Alberta Parks, we developed the trail system, the parking lot, the visitor center. And then as we created the park, we realized that the foundation's role could continue in the form of education and visitor services. And here we are today. <laughs> It opened its doors 10 years ago this August, actually. Yeah, so it took that long for it to uh, be an idea, work its way through um, the government and being voted in as a park. It nearly wasn't voted in. It was uh, one vote shy of, of, of not being approved uh, by the Alberta government. And, um, but we got it through <laughs> and the park took two years full-on construction to be developed and then we opened the doors in 2011. Formally, the mission of the Glenbow Ranch Park Foundation is to protect and promote Glenbow Ranch Provincial Park through engagement, education, collaboration, and conservation. Um, and so one of the biggest things that we focus on, there are kind of two main things, educating people about grasslands and conservation uh, and vegetation management, because we have some of the last left healthy native fescue grasses and it's our responsibility to preserve them and so through a robust vegetation management program that we do with Alberta Parks we ensure that we keep invasives away so all the incredible uh, diverse plants can can grow and thrive here at the park. Only 2% of Alberta's grasslands are formally protected and we have 3,200 acres of that 2% here in the park. Uh, and statistically, 75% of Alberta's species at risk are found in grasslands. So the need to protect those grasslands is very, very important. And equally important is the need to educate people about grasslands. So many of us have no idea how ecologically diverse grasslands are. So I will admit being from Ontario, when I came out and went on my journey to fall in love with grasslands, I had no idea that they were 
as diverse as the Amazon rainforest, the Great Barrier Reef, and grasslands. Those are the three most diverse ecosystems in the world. And here we are with this park in between Calgary and Cochrane, which are both developing rapidly. And so it's a no-brainer that protecting this park should be on everyone's mind and um, should be really, really uh, important to all of us. And so that's where our foundation comes in. This last part blew my mind. I had no idea how diverse our grasslands were and how little grasslands we have left in our country. But why should we care about our grasslands? Why should people care about grasslands? I mean, how much time do you have? (laughs) Uh, First and foremost, they're disappearing. They're disappearing at a rate that is uh, astronomical. And, uh, you know, 75% of Canada's grasslands are gone. When a fescue grass is destroyed, it is so hard to get back. Um, And that is why so many invasive species will pop up when fescue grasses are disturbed because they just take so much more to come back. And so once we've lost them, uh, you know, I don't want to sound too negative, but once we lost them, it's almost impossible to bring them back. The other thing that a lot of people don't know about is their incredible carbon storage. So if you see a fescue grass about this big above ground, you're going to get up to three to four meters of root system below. Uh, And the practical reason for that is that we are a pretty arid environment and they can store water and nutrients to last them through droughts. But they also store carbon, massive amounts of carbon. People don't really recognize how much carbon they store. Uh, You know, some of them store as as much carbon as as a tree would. And so if we're talking about climate change and things that we can do to fight climate change, keeping what we have left of our grasslands and protecting them is part of that whole solution. Uh, I also think they're really beautiful. How many places do we have these days where you can go out and be so connected to nature and feel the vastness of it? You know, forests are, are beautiful and important, but you don't feel small in them unless you're, you know, in the redwoods. Here I feel you really recognize just how powerful nature is. And so uh, just from a mental health standpoint, it's hugely important. So, uh, and then we want some of it left for the future generations. And so what do we need to do? Well, we need to protect it now for them. My name is Blake Weiss. I'm with the Glenville Ranch Park Foundation. I'm the vegetation management lead here at the park. And vegetation management is just a fancy term for invasive plant control, essentially. Uh, So invasive plants are the second greatest threat to biodiversity in the world. The first greatest being habitat destruction. Uh, So once you have a park protected, the next most important thing to do to preserve the environment is to fight the non-native invasive species that choke out the native plants and uh, uh, degrade the ecology. There are many species of grass here at the park, but the, the principal one that we protect here is called rough fescue. Um, And rough fescue is an incredible species. It's what's called a late successional species. So early successional species will rapidly colonize bare ground after a disturbance, like a fire, for example. And late successional species are what come in and outcompete them over time and create the uh, long-lasting, sustainable climax environment. And the fescue grasses um, are very large and they're very long-lived. The bunches can grow Uh, quite wide around 
and based on growth estimates, we believe some of the biggest ones are several hundred years old. Um, they're essentially the old growth forest of the prairie. Um, and they provide excellent, excellent forage for cattle, um, especially um, outside of the main growing season. Uh, so for example, they may graze the cattle um, on some non-native forage during the early growing season and then move them into the, the fescue areas outside of the growing season where other grasses wouldn't provide good forage, they'd otherwise have to bring in hay. Um, but you can graze that, that fescue all throughout the winter. Another conservation issue with fescue grasslands is that they're so difficult, if not impossible, to restore. Um, some other types of grasslands, like the mixed grass prairie we have in the southeast of the province, um, it's well understood, generally, if, if you do things correctly, that you can put that grassland back to the way it was before. But fescue grassland is different. Uh, especially, as soon as you start tearing up the soil, it's pretty much impossible to avoid getting non-native invasive species in there, particularly other species of grass. And as you might imagine, it's very hard to remove one kind of grass from another kind of grass. Uh, so essentially, the best way we have to restore native grassland, or the native fescue, is to just not disturb it in the first place. Uh, so you preserve it, and if you have to develop trails or any other development, develop around the fescue grassland areas. Now that we know why we should care about our grasslands, what can we do to make sure that these grasslands stay protected? Uh, so our foundation uh, plays a role in protecting the park and educating people about grasslands in, in many, many ways. So first of all, uh, our foundation developed all the interpretive signage in the park. And if people take the time to read the interpretive signage, they will read hundreds of reasons why it's important to protect these grasslands uh, and the historical sites in the park. We also have about 100 active volunteers in our park and we have something called the Park Patrol. So those volunteers who just love walking anyway, walk with one of these vests on that says Park Patrol in the back and they engage the public. And it could be as simple as, oh, do you have any questions about paths? Which can lead into teaching people about grasslands or kindly reminding people that dogs need to be on leash and they could be fined. <laughs> <laughs> diplomatically reminding them uh, and so those are some of the ways that we help here in the park but in the larger scheme of things it's our kids educational programming which is creating the next generation of stewards for these lands uh, and so prior to COVID-19 we had years where we saw up to 5,000 children through in-class um, programming as well as at the park programming and is really special having a kid who's never seen a cow in real life or never been to grasslands who see them as these green hills and then they take part in a grassland program and realize the diversity in every square inch of those grasslands and so that's a major way that we help protect the lands and then we also have our vegetation management program which is really important during the summer months we go out we do weeding with our volunteers and then we also apply um, herbicide to specific areas to control some of the invasive species in the park there's a number of ways that people who come and visit the park can help us protect these grasslands. First and foremost, stay on the trails. We have almost 40 kilometers of trails. Where else do you want to go? Stay on the trail. Uh, keep your dog on leash. We have huge populations of deer in the park, coyotes, we have a black bear, moose, badgers, all of which don't need to have a dog chase them. And your dog also doesn't need to be put at risk. So keep your dog on leash. And if if 
protecting wildlife doesn't sway you, we also have conservation officers who will fine you. So keep your dog on leash. Uh, also take the time to learn about where you are. Read the signs, speak to us, come into the visitor center, put your children in our programming, talk to your children's schools about our programming so we can create this next generation of stewards. Uh, and lastly, donate. <laughs> We're a nonprofit organization. Everything we do, we do because of um, private donations and grants. And environmental nonprofits are one of the worst funded nonprofit um, uh, realms. I don't know what the right word is uh, in, in the world, basically. And, and yet our environment needs the most attention. So uh, take some of your do annual donations and put them towards a nonprofit in the environmental sector that you love. All right. So the question we always ask, for those of us who don't venture out to the grasslands often or farm for a living, what on earth can we do to help? So outside of Glenbow Ranch Provincial Park, there are things that everyday Albertans can do to help protect our, protect our grasslands. If you own land that has grasslands on it, there are, you know, we have farmers all over Alberta, we have people who live on acreages, and you have grasslands that haven't been developed, you yourself can protect your own grasslands in your backyard, literally in your backyard. Uh, try not to develop it. Don't throw a garden in there. You have no idea how important that ecosystem is that you have in your backyard, so help protect it. Uh, another really important thing is to uh, educate your kids about it, put your kids in our programming. And of course, there are things like don't use pesticides, plant um, pollinator-friendly um, gardens because our pollinators are rapidly decreasing. Here at Glenbow Ranch, we actually have two species at risk of bumblebees. Uh, the western bumblebee and the yellow-banded bumblebee and so um, you can help the work that we're doing by planting healthy pesticide-free gardens as well. And uh, when you go to parks all over Alberta, follow the rules, don't litter. All of those things help protect all the lands in Alberta, including grasslands. And then uh, I would say lastly, and perhaps most importantly, is let your government know that this is important to you. If you look at the Protect Alberta Parks movement, that is just, like it gives me goosebumps. It's such, such an amazing example of how when Albertans take the time to show what is important to them, the governments we elect can listen. And so I would say if you see development occurring on grasslands in your area, if you see um, funding being cut to important programs that protect grasslands, there's nothing wrong with throwing an email to your representative and saying that you are not okay with that. Grow food. Because once you start to go, oh my goodness, I just killed that thing. You go, oh, so there's the earth, the plants, the livelihood of this planet actually depends on me a little bit. And so we actually start to learn how to take a little bit of responsibility for generating life. And so I think that's another huge thing. Have, have a basil plant on your windowsill, anything. Uh, but if you can start to connect your life with uh, the, the ecological life, um, again, you start to go down a path <laughs> of no return. Uh, it's a good place, it's a good place. We're good people over here. Colleen, I have to be honest, Glembo Ranch Park was one of my favorite stops along the way as we were recording this podcast. I didn't get to go because I am very pregnant, but 
From what I saw on Instagram, it looked incredibly beautiful and it was a wake up call to me with how important the grasslands actually are for the environment. It actually reminded me a little bit about an episode in season two where we talked to the agroforestry woodlot extension society and how trees are the solution and how to be a tree hugger. So I had no idea. Um, I had no idea that there were actually different kinds of grass. That's like, I, I obviously need to learn more, but um, just how important these grasslands are in our area and how loved that area was too. There there were so many people out on the trails and, and just enjoying nature that, you know, that was, an, that was an important part of it as well. Just, you know, reconnecting. Okay, so... For this particular episode, I'm very curious to see what your takeaway is because we don't live super close to the grasslands and we're not farmers. So, Gregory, what on earth are you going to do? <laughs> well, thanks for asking because I I am not a farmer. Uh, and in fact, I, I need to bring up that before we met the, the gentleman and the rest of the amazing folks over at the YYC Growers, that my my vision my imagine my imaginary farmer was not what i saw i don't know if you know this well you obviously know because you were there but farmers nowadays are like the hipsters who are <laughs> like so cool <laughs> yeah i like to pride myself on uh on my backyard even though i am struggling with it um and this is my closest connection to um what i can do for the land in my own backyard. It's right back there. Um, I This summer was a little bit more difficult because uh, if you're in Alberta listening to this, you know that we went through a very hot summer. Um, there was a lot of drought and I actually, I wasn't sure what I, what I should do if I should continue watering my, my grass or if, you know, I should just leave it for this year and, um, you know, try and conserve water because it seemed like a, a fairly serious situation. And what I took away, especially from our conversation with, with YYC growers, is that it's still so important that in, in these times of drought that we're taking care of the land that we have. Um, but what was also interesting to me was from our friends at Glenbow Park was learning that drought isn't always a bad thing. So I think it's just figuring out I need to do some research on how I can better treat my property, the land that I own, um, so that it it still, you know, is is healthy and, and happy for years to come. And I'm it, one of the things I have a list now going as to what I want to take away from this season. I'm going to be planting a prairie flower garden in my backyard, not only to, to support, you know, the bees in the area, but also to as a way to ensure that the land on my property is to, is staying healthy and beautiful. Ooh, I like that. You'll have to invite me over to hang out in your yard we'll, in your beautiful garden. We'll have a little bit of rosé in, in the in the backyard with your new baby. I think that sounds like a good plan. <laughs> what are you going to do, Colleen? So, I think mine is a little bit more on the consumer side of things. So, I think one thing that really struck a chord with me was just um how much work goes into the food that we eat every day and how I take it for granted. So I really think I'm going to start focusing more on purchasing local um, and working, knowing where my food is being grown. So there's, um, there's some great places around my area that I can 
do this quite easily. Um, we have year round farmers markets in Edmonton, so that's easy. Um, yeah. So I think, I think that's probably my main takeaway for this one. You know, I think that that's a really good one because as we're talking about agriculture, of course it has to do with food. And, you know, as, as a developing backyard farmer, uh, it is not that easy to grow things. Um, there's a really great episode that we did back in season one. It was actually our very first episode that talks all about food waste. And the reason that I think about this is that after my trip or after our trip recording the podcast, I remembered that I wanted to go back. And uh, I guess our our local example would be Emerald Award recipients, spud.ca and getting, uh, they really focus on local farming in our area. So, you know, going back and, and using purchasing our groceries through businesses like that. Exactly. I think it I think it just fell out of habit a little bit when COVID, the dreaded that dreaded word, when COVID hit <laughs> back in March of 2020. And then now it's almost like re relearning those habits of starting to buy local again as opposed to buying something of convenience because of the pandemic so um yeah that is what i am taking away from this well colleen i think that's a wrap that's a wrap the what on earth can we do podcast is presented by the alberta emerald foundation and eco growth environmental and features emerald award recipients Nominations for the 31st Annual Emerald Awards open on November 1st, 2021 and close February 11th, 2022. Learn more about our guests' inspiring work through the Emerald Documentary Series, available on our website, emeraldfoundation.ca. And if you enjoyed What on Earth Can We Do, please make sure to subscribe and stay up to date with us on our socials at Alberta Emerald. Need help with your waste management? EcoGrowth Environmental Incorporated has your solutions. Learn more at eco-growth.ca. A very special thank you to our sponsors, the Government of Alberta, City of Edmonton, Syncru Canada Limited, the Edmonton Community Foundation, the Alberta Real Estate Foundation, Yellow Bike Solutions, and Bioenergy Solutions Incorporated.